morning, crypto. Good morning, Warriors. Hello and welcome back to another episode of your favorite crypto news channel, Good Morning Crypto, where we bring you the most relevant and impactful crypto-related topics from a top crypto research team in the world. I'm your host, Abs, joined by several members of our 3T family this morning. We got the Italian stallion, Mr. Johnny Crypto, Billy, also known as the CEO of Double Bottom Trading and somebody who probably needs no introduction on our channel, a renowned educator in the space and one of the most famous attorneys in the crypto universe. We got John Deaton joining us this morning, ladies and gentlemen. So I'm very excited for today's show. Today on Good Morning Crypto, we will be discussing how the SEC is accepting Ethereum as payment in a lawsuit for insider trading, only adding fuel to the fire of the debate whether Ether is a security. Wall Street firms are coming together to launch their own custody platform, telling firms like Binance and Coinbase their days could be numbered. And with the Rippleverse SEC resolution coming any week now, we break down the details, showing our community how this ruling could be the most impactful lawsuit of our era. Our show is available on your favorite podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Music. And for those of you listening via podcast, our show is live on YouTube Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. Eastern at the 3T Warrior Academy channel. So Johnny Crypto, you already know it's a special day, not just because it's Conspiracy Friday, but we got John Deaton in the building today, so I'm super excited. What's on your mind, Johnny? How you feeling? I'm, I'm super excited too. Good morning to all the Warrior Maniacs out there. We love you and appreciate you for showing up every single day. But today is a very special day, Abs. We have the friend, that we call him the friend of the court, Amicus Breedman. John Dean <laughs> in the house supporting and taking care of, you know, all the XRP folks out there. I know there's 76,000 that love them. And there's many, many more beyond that. But, John, I just want to personally say thank you for all you've done. Our community thanks you as well. And we're so happy you're here today. Can't, we can't wait to hop into it. Can't wait. But, Billy, first of all, I hope I want to give you a shout out this morning. The CEO of Double Bottom Trading. So congrats on all the success there. But first of all, how are you feeling? And thank you for making time for us. Bro, bless. You know, I love to come in here and spend time with you guys. Anytime I get to hang out with the family, it's always a good day. But to have the one and only John Deaton here, bro, are you serious? That's like having the MJ or the GOAT on the show. This is this is going to be fire today, man. I can't wait. Really excited. And John, I want to say thank you for making time for us this morning. If our listeners look closely enough, they can see 75,000 XRP holders standing on John Deaton's shoulders. But we're going to talk about that later in the episode. First of all, I want to say thank you for making time for us and how you feeling this morning. I'm doing great. Thank you, guys. That was very nice words. Generous. Uh, I got to correct you, though, brother, on one thing. I am standing on the shoulders of those 76,000. They're not standing on my shoulders. I stand on their shoulders and I love each and every one of them, even the ones that don't like me so much. Hey, and they'll come around eventually, right? And we got 204 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And we're going to get this show started the same way we always do by showing you our Good Morning Crypto Twitter account. That's at 3TGM Crypto on Twitter. You get access to every single one of us. Go smash that follow button. We love talking to you. The Bitcoin Fear and Greed Index is in neutral this morning, Johnny, sitting at a 50. And as you can tell, hasn't moved a basis point all month. But when we look at the daily movers, green across the board, we got PLS up about 12%, HEX up 8%, and XRP up about 3% on the day. When we look at the total coin market cap this morning, we are sitting at 1.14 trillion in total market cap. Bitcoin is 46% dominance. Ethereum is about 20%. We've got Bitcoin sitting at 27,000, Ethereum 1,800, and XRP just below 52 cents this morning. And because of special occasion, Johnny, we're going to stop right there. And I think before we get into our Q&A, fill our listeners in. What are you anticipating? And what are you watching in the market this morning? Well, Abs, you know, like I've been saying, we're still probably about a year away from you know, the Bitcoin having, and from that point, usually the trigger of the next bull run. So I'm just sitting away. I don't buy in the neutral zone. You guys all know we wait for red days. We do the opposite of what everybody else is doing. 
So, uh, abs, I'm just sitting back and just looking at the things, surveying the market. You know, I like the gaming space, keep my eye on some of those plays, but obviously XRP is the talk of the town. What's happening? Where's it going? How high is it going to go? When's the monkey going to come off the back? Keep an eye on all that. And today we're going to dive a little deeper into that. Spot on Johnny. And we're going to get into our interview right now, John. I want to get, I want to get this thing started with where everyone's head is at today. And that would be on June 13th. The Hinman emails are set to be released. And I've got a bunch of questions when it comes to those emails, but the place I think is most important to start is the people want to know on June 14th, are we going to see those emails? Is it confirmed? Yes. Uh, June 13th is the date that they're going to be released. Now, we don't know what time it could be. It's always possible, too, that that's a deadline. And sometimes, because we've seen this happen in the case, sometimes they get released a little bit early. So if both sides uh, agree that they're, they're all their redactions are in and done and comply with the judge's order, is it possible that we get it on the 12th? you know, which is a Monday instead of Tuesday. It's possible. But at the end of the day, most lawyers meet those deadlines on those deadlines. And the deadline technically would be Tuesday by midnight. So Tuesday, June 13th, um, sometime we're going to see those uh, limited redacted emails. And um, which is very important because the next day is the fifth year anniversary of what I believe is the most infamous speech in SEC staff history. And that's the Hinman speech, which is on June 14th, 2018. And so I will let everybody know that crypto law, I usually do a live stream on Tuesdays. I'm moving it to Wednesday because that will have 12 to 24 hours to have deciphered the emails. And I'm going to have a show on crypto law and uh, my friend Jeremy Hogan's agreed to be there. I have someone from the SEC, you know, former SEC person coming in. So look for that because we're going to really dig into what those emails actually say. So in preparation for this interview, John, I went back and I actually watched your appearance on Patrick Bet David's podcast. I believe it was Valuetainment. And you brought in a bunch of redacted emails from the former SEC. I don't know if it was the Hinman emails in particular. I can't remember off the top of my head. But when you brought up redacted emails right now, I can remember on some of those documents, 90% of the words were highlighted in black and they couldn't be read. So when you say Hinman's emails are going to be released but redacted, what does that mean exactly? Oh, that's a great question. And if a lot of people remember, it would be the entire sheet would be redacted, every word. Um, and the judge has basically ordered that certain things are private. So for example, uh, and it's, it's not just the Hinman emails. They are one of the documents, but for example, the experts names that who the sec used as experts, their name will be redacted. Uh, uh, certain IP uh, ODL cells and information will be redacted certain personal information of brad garlinghouse or chris larson will be redacted but the substance of things will not be so for example in the if you go to the summary judgment opposition that ripple filed uh they they cite one of the hinman emails and they say that the director of trading and markets who we know was brett redfern but um said that the speech will lead to more, will lead to, and then it's redacted. So we're going to get to see what he said. Now that lead to, I believe it's going to say more confusion, market confusion, 
things of that nature. And so we're going to get to see the give and take between these people. What everyone needs to know about the emails is that there are 52 drafts of this speech. I mean, just think about that. This speech was supposed to be this one guy's personal opinion, right? That's the SEC's tactics. That's the bullshit argument that they went with with the judge. This is just Bill Hinman's personal view. Yet we know that there are 63 emails that back and forth of all these people, and there's 52 drafts. And so what a lot of people are speculating, and, and this I'm not one, I'm not, I don't necessarily believe that XRP was in one of the drafts and then taken out. Like, but it could be, right? Now it could be, but there are some saying that it could be that big. You know, the problem, guys, with the emails is this. We got Brad Garlinghouse saying it's going to shock people. And and when I, he says that, I think he means the rest of the world, not so much the XRP community, because I don't know if we can be shocked anymore. We've seen so much nonsense out of the SEC, but but maybe we, we will be. You know, the question is, there's been so much built up on these emails Will they be a little underwhelming or will they truly shock us? We're going to find out, but it's going to be incredible to see. One thing that I know is XRP was discussed, right? And the question is, how many people said, why even give this speech? Like, if it's going to lead to more confusion, if you're only going to give ETH a free pass and you're not going to mention XRP, like, why give it? Like, and that'll be really the question. And one of my predictions is that the, the conflicts of interest that Bill Hinman had are going to even become more heightened because I think when we read it, we're going to say, then why did you insist on giving this speech? Hey, John, I got a question for you on this, on the Hinman stuff. So two things. One, everybody wants to know, first of all, is there, you know, criminal activity here and can someone go to jail? But the real question is this. The judge, all the XRP attorneys, and, and the SC all have seen the unredacted versions of the emails, correct? correct? So if there was a smoking, here's the question. If there was a smoking gun in there, wouldn't we have gotten a ruling already? Or, or do you think the judge is waiting for this to go public so the public can see it and makes her job easier making a ruling? Just kind of curious of your thoughts of why, if there's something damning in there, why haven't we gotten a ruling yet? Well, well, everything you got to understand, damning is a relative term. And so, and a lot of people have to understand Ripple Ripple has never filed a motion that says prosecutorial misconduct, or they've never filed a motion to dismiss because of, you know, selective enforcement or unfairness between ETH and XRP. And so uh, there's, there's, I don't believe there's going to be any, I even said, I'm someone who said Bill Hinman violated the law. I, I was one of the first people out there saying, look, he got $15 million from from Simpson Thatcher. He was an ongoing sharing partner, all of that. And when the Empower emails came out where they told him, you can't even talk to your partners or you're violating the law. And then he did three more times just from the SEC emails. Then I was confident to say, OK, you broke the law. That doesn't mean he's going to go to jail. You know, it, it means that he broke the criminal financial conflict laws, which says that it's a violation of the law if you allow even the appearance of impropriety. 
So if the conflicts give the public the appearance that there's wrongdoing, you're in violation of the law. Clearly, he's in violation of the law there. You know, but that doesn't mean he's going to go to jail. And so there's I don't think there's anything in there that's going to make the judge say, oh, I have to give a ruling right now. Right now, she may we may hear something from her in her ruling. I'm hoping she takes the SEC to task, similar to what Judge Netburn did, where she said, look, you're not having a faithful allegiance to the law. You're making your arguments based on you just want to win this particular motion and you're ignoring everything else you've ever said. You know, so hopefully the judge will get in and, and put some stuff in there that highlights the SEC's misconduct. But that doesn't mean, you know, at the end of the day, day, guys, even if it's grossly unfair that XRP was highlighted, even if the, this lawsuit was used as a weapon, like I've said it is from the first day, um, the judge's job is, did Ripple sell XRP as a security at some point? Right. That's really her job. And she can you know, if, if she thought that there was a criminal violation, she might make a recommendation, you know, to the Department of Justice or something. But that could be done privately. But I I, I think people just got to understand, you know, what is it's relative of how damaging it is. Now, hopefully it's so damaging that she says, you know, um, even if. Ripple sold XRP in the early years before the ecosystem was fully developed. And that technically satisfied the Howey test. Uh, they didn't have fair notice and let that go to a jury, which would be a complete win. And then, of course, rule that ongoing and future sales of XRP, especially secondary market sales, are not securities. So for anybody who's been involved in this community since 2020, before the lawsuit, the number one conversation was an IPO. And those conversations seem to be heating up right now. But guys, we got 457 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And John Deaton, the number one question people have been asking since XRP Las Vegas is the thing that you brought up while on stage. On September 29th, Judge Torres is going to have to report to Congress if she can't make a decision on this court case. What I'd love for you to do is just deep dive into why she's most likely to make a decision before September 29th. All right. So uh, there's this rule where if a motion, a dispositive motion, such as a summary judgment, if it's been pending longer than six months, a judge has to report herself, so to speak, to Congress. Twice a year, there's what's called the six-month list goes to Congress and it lists all these uh, motions if they've been pending longer than six months. It, that that um, six-month list gets published the last day of March and the last day of September. So September 30th, say. So if her decision isn't out by September 30th, she would go on that list. She's never been on that list, right? And it's like a it's like a public shame list. Like, look, I'm I'm shitty at my job. I don't do my job. I let things sit on my desk all day long. Important uh, cases like this, and so I just don't see her ever letting it go past that where she's going to report herself. Remember, a lot of these judges have ambitions too. So if you're if you want to 
go to the Second Circuit Appellate Court or you want to one day be considered for the U.S. Supreme Court, you, you keep your name off lists like that, right? And so what I said on stage was, you know, I guess we could look at the worst case scenario as being the ruling comes out before September 30th. I think it's going to be before that, but then I'm also surprised that it's taken this long. So, so one of the com- one of the follow up questions I have is because this is such a big deal and such a unique situation. Do you think she would be more willing to let this go up to Congress? I mean, every single time someone puts out a deadline, those dates have come and gone in the past. So, for us to sit on this September 29th date, it sounds like this is different than before. But can you maybe explain why? I guess even though things are different, she's still going to make a decision before then. Well, listen, when I've heard a lot of people say, well, I don't think she's going to rule because she's going to wait for Congress. Well, she could be waiting 10 years for Congress. I mean, people have got to realize, yes, we see that because we have Patrick McHenry, who is the chairman of the Financial Service Committee in Congress, in, in the House, and we have Warren Davidson and Tom Emmer. These are pro-crypto uh, congressmen that we're able to, they're being more vocal now, right? Because they have, they're in charge, but you got to remember the Senate is still controlled by guess who sits on the the Senate banking committee, Elizabeth Warren. All right. And her buddy of course is Sherrod Brown, who's the chairman of the banking committee. So do you think one of those bills are going to be approved by Senator Warren while she's and an anti-crypto re-election campaign? Of course not. Is it going to be signed by the president? So the earliest we will ever see legislation for crypto that gets passed by the House, passed by the Senate, and signed into law by the president of the United States is when? 2025, at the end of 2025, if Let's say the if the Republicans are able to to take the Senate and the presidency and keep the House, it, what's the chances that happening? If if President Biden is reelected, but the Senate flips and the House flips, could we still maybe? So all I'm saying is she'd be waiting until at the very earliest. 2025, September, October 2025, is she going to wait? Two years? No, never. Understood. Johnny Crypto, floor is yours, my friend. So, John, let's talk a little bit. So, obviously, that that's something I didn't know, actually. So, I'm glad you brought that to our attention. I thought at some point she had to make a decision and close the case out. That's interesting and new information to me. So, theoretically, she could, what, defer the ruling and just say, I'm not going to do anything on this? Or... Is it just a series of delays? How does that, how would that work? How's that? No, she, she, she's not going to do that. I mean, listen, I, I, I was wrong by saying, you know, what I said before was, I think if you average her decisions, how long she takes, like by looking at other big cases, she averaged right around two to four months from the time she ruled on the expert motion. So I said, if you just average it out, Right. She had one case that was that took just shy of six months. One case that took four months. There was a case, two cases that came out within weeks of the Daubert expert motion. I said, so if you if you average all that out, she averages a couple months from the expert decision. And so that put that's when I said, well, that would put us around May 6th. And I said, I'll be surprised 
if we don't get a ruling, but I won't be shocked. I'll be surprised, but not shocked. And so that's passed. And now we hear we are in June, the beginning of June. Conventional wisdom is that because of that June 13th date, she'll probably not give her summary judgment decision until after all of those exhibits have been made public, because then her opinion will make more sense. Yes. Right. And so yes. uh, I am, ex I will be shocked. I can say this. I will be shocked if we did not get a decision from her by the end of September, I will absolutely be shocked then because I don't see that happening. Not a decision of this magnitude. Yeah, because that puts her name on the list. You so put let's your name talk on the list, all those things. Yeah, let's talk about the the decisions. So when we had Jeremy Hogan on the show, he made us aware that the there's actually different levels of decision making. And so I just want to talk to you a little bit about that. So if we get a settlement, basically he was saying that just really kind of helps ripple. It doesn't really clarify anything else for the industry, um, but it kind of gives Ripple a head start if she makes a settlement. And or I'm sorry. If the settlement, if, if uh, SEC and XRP settle or ripple, but he was saying if the judge makes a decision and does rule in the favor of ripple um, and XRP, in this case, that would set like some kind of low level precedent. But if it goes to an appellate level and gets withheld, then it almost becomes like law. But I was hoping you can help us understand the difference between the strength or the precedent when the judge makes the decision versus when an appellate makes a decision. Why is it more important if the appellate decision is uh, a decision made at the appellate level? Okay. So the best example for everyone to understand would be look at the library judge's decision in the, which is in the district of um, New Hampshire. And then you have J judge Torres's decision, the ripple case in the Southern district they're in different circuits. We have different circuits, appellate court circuits. In the New York case, a Ripple case, that's the Southern District of New York, which is the most prestigious, highly litigated district of all in the country. And it's in the second circuit. Rhode Island, where I am, and New Hampshire and Massachusetts, that's the first circuit. And the appellate courts are have different laws. So Judge Netburn has to follow what the Second Circuit says. Judge Bar uh, Barbados, I believe is how you say his name, in the library case, he has to follow what the First Circuit Court said. So there's different laws applying. So the fact that library judge found in favor of the SEC is almost irrelevant to what Judge Torres will do. Doesn't mean she won't read it to look at his rationale, but he's got to apply different case law above him than she does. And so that's why when people would say, oh, Ripple's cooked because look what happened in the library. That's nonsense. She could completely ignore, she could say that judge is whacked. Like I'm not listening to anything he has to say. Completely has no binding. But if the Second Circuit came out with a decision today that impacted the Ripple case that changed the law, for example, she would have to follow it. And so and then, of course, when you get to the highest level, the Supreme Court, then everyone has to follow that. And so it's very interesting because and, and a lot changed. You can I can 
your readers and viewers, I should say, if you go to Texas, I can assure you that the appellate law is very different than the law in New England, right? Because you have different judges. Do you have liberal judges who are appointed by a liberal? Or do you have conservative judges appointed by a conservative? And all of that applies to what law you give. And so what usually happens is you get competing decisions from the First Circuit and the Second Circuit, and then you need the Supreme Court to tell all the circuits this is the law. So the Howie case is the law for everyone. Oh, so let see. me ask you this. If we do see a situation where XRP is a only digital asset with unique litigation centered around it, is that a catalyst for American adoption, or do you think there's other hurdles that we're waiting on that kind of what I'm asking is, could we see utility after the resolution of the lawsuit? Yeah, listen, a lot of people, and this is what, you know, you guys were showing me a clip beforehand, and I'm glad you did because I wrote it down of Warren Davidson. Uh, you were sharing something with me when he was interviewed, and he pointed out that uh, America, the United States, represents 50% of all the capital that's in the world. So there's a lot of people out there because I'm someone who from the very beginning said, look, I know Ripple's doing great. You know, ODL was 800 percent and they they were expanding and getting overseas customers and doing great. The UAE and Singapore and all these places, I said, but you cannot underestimate the impact that this case has had on their business. You have to. You have to have the United States. If it represents 50% of all the capital in the world, you can't exclude that market. And so that's why XRP is not being offered on their ODL platform, because companies like Bank of America, uh, you know, those type of companies need certainty, regulatory certainty. And so once XRP is, has regulatory certainty and Ripple has this dark cloud over its head gone forever. That's when I believe those utility gates open up. Johnny, I'm not sure if you had a follow up there, but the thing that comes to my attention is Bank of America is rumored to be testing this technology behind the scenes. And 10 days before Ripple was sued by the SEC, JP Morgan completed their first in-house transaction with the JPM coin. So my question to you is this. It's pretty simple and it's pretty upfront. Do you believe there's an agenda to shut down competitors in the United States and promote certain networks? I'm specifically referencing JP Morgan and Ethereum here. Yes, uh, that's when um, a lot of people called me a conspiracy theorist on January 1st. 2021. That's nine days after the XRP lawsuit. Nine days. I filed that writ of mandamus. And, and I said, I literally said, I don't know the, the exact reason yet. And I speculated. I said personal gain, political revenge. I laid out a few theories. But I said, one thing I'm certain of, this lawsuit appears to be used as a weapon. And so um, those that's when we get to the conflicts. And so what we have is this thing called regulatory capture. It's when a certain group of investors capture the regulators and they, you know, get these regulators to give them an advantage, a regulatory advantage, because look how big of a regulatory advantage. If, if you say, 
Bitcoin and ETH are not securities, but we're never going to comment on any other token. Then you only have two that have regulatory. Joe Lubin used to go around back in 2019 and say, literally say, there's only two projects that have regulatory clarity, Bitcoin and ETH, and you can't develop on Bitcoin. And he said that leaves Ethereum as the only game in town. Those are his words. And so, yes, then you look at Quorum, right, was purchased by consensus from JP Morgan and the JP Morgan coin. And it gives the appearance that there was an advantage given to this project. And then we get this project, XRP, sued. Under those circumstances, walking out the door, everyone leaving, all the things that Joe Grunfest said, hey, don't do this. Um, it makes you say this looks bad. Right. And that's why we really do need an investigation into how this went down. And let's say there is an investigation and somebody is found guilty. Could it be another example where we watch the debacle? Like, look at what happened with Gary Gensler a couple of weeks ago. He was exposed in front of Congress. They put him on the spot. He was an idiot, exposed to the American public. No repercussions. Same situation a couple of weeks later. So my question to you is, if there is corruption, what's going to be done about it? Listen, I, I the, the thought of someone going to jail is slim to none. Mm-hmm. All right. I mean, the 2008 crisis happened. Nobody goes to jail. Uh, a lot of people, even when I bring up these conflicts of interest, uh, that I believe are so blatantly bad. You have a lot of people in the financial markets that go, yeah, but we've seen worse. And yeah, but that's just the revolving door at the SEC. That's that's business as usual. Well, then we got to stop business because then we don't have a free market. Like I'm a free market capitalist, right? I believe in free markets in the let the best technology win. And if 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 ETH is the best technology and eats XRP's lunch, so be it. If Bitcoin, if they becomes, you know, everything that in the lightning work project and all that is everything the Bitcoin maxis say it is, then let let the market decide that. But you don't let individuals who are non-appointed political appointees you know, making these decisions to give passes to some people and no passes to others and use lawsuits as a weapon. I mean, think about that famous guys. Think about the famous uh, clip of of uh, the billionaire. Uh, what's the name? Uh, Tim. Um, he was on stage with Gary Gensler. I forget his name. Do you now. know, I don't know, Johnny. Do you? Uh, oh, well, is it the guy with the eyebrows? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I know who you're talking about. I can't forget it. I can't remember his name. I'll Google it. I can't. I can't believe I. I've. Uh, I forgot his uh, name. Uh, Tim Draper. Draper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah thank you, Tim Draper. Thank you, Tim Draper's on stage, ironically, with Gary Gensler, and he's talking about this this thing where the bankers and the incumbents, when this new disruption comes in, you know, they they get their regulators to sue you and they come after you. I mean, it's almost like they're like ah. This is just the way it is in America. And 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 I'm saying we got to stop that. We got to like, there you go. We got to do something about it. Thank you. And Billy, I know you had a follow-up question. Floor is yours, my friend. No, I was just going to say, with all the politics and everything going on with this, John, is it fair to say that uh, most of them are 
apprehensive about it because it's too much transparency for them. Uh, with all the lobbyists and all the cash it flows through and everything, you can't track it like you can on crypto and on the blockchain. Would that be fair to say that? Sure. I mean, it, it's ironic, right, that that Elizabeth Warren comes out now and not only does she blame the banking crisis on crypto, she blames the fentanyl crisis <laughs> on crypto just because, you know, you can find one big purchase uh, where somebody who's in, in the drug trade uses crypto. You know, but we all know if we're in the business, you, you're a moron if you're using a public distributed ledger. Right. It, yes. Your name doesn't say John Deaton bought cocaine today. Right. Doesn't say that. But if you have if you see suspicious activity, you can track it. It rises to a level. You can get a search warrant. You can do all those things and capture the people. I mean, look at how much Bitcoin the United States government owns. Yeah. Right? I mean, pretty, pretty soon they're going to own some ETH from what you guys are telling. <laughs> and we talked about it last week. There was a man in China who exploited something on the Bitcoin blockchain. He was receiving double the rewards he was supposed to for mining. Seven years later, Chinese authorities tracked him down and found that miner. And now he's sitting in a jail cell. So even though you might get away with it for the exact transaction, it's like you said, it's only a matter of time. And guys, we got 660 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And Johnny, it's Friday, so I'm going to do the people a favor. Here's the smartest way to track your crypto. Have you gotten wrecked in the crypto market space or watched your crypto portfolio go all the way up and then all the way down without taking profits? If so, it's probably because you didn't have an exit plan. The good news is that doesn't need to happen anymore thanks to a new and innovative crypto tracker called Merlin. It's the smartest way to track your crypto. Merlin brings all your coins into one place so you can see all your assets across the different exchanges on one screen. You can see your total portfolio value and more importantly, your daily gains, losses and total since inception. Merlin puts the power back in your hands so you no longer have to guess what your portfolio is doing on a daily or monthly basis. Most importantly, Merlin lets you create an exit plan and sends you notifications when your targets are reached so you no longer have to get wrecked in the marketplace. Go to MerlinCrypto.com. That's MerlinCrypto.com and sign up for our free 30-day trial and get on the wait list so you can receive an email when the product is launched. Don't miss out on this new and innovative app, Merlin. It's the smartest way to track your crypto. Not only is it the smartest way to track your crypto, guys, you get 30 days absolutely free. Sign up for the waitlist down below. And this is obviously a product we're launching within our team, but beta testers will be selected from the waitlist. So with that out of the way, John, we can get right back into our XRP content because the big thing everyone is debating to close out the him and emails is the statue of limitations rumor. On June 13th, 2018, William Hinman had an internal Howie memo involving XRP. Well, that's the exact same day that they are set to be released five years later. So let me ask you, is it a coincidence or can we draw some connections here? Well, listen, I mean, uh, the, the fact that they add that the, normally the, the Hinman emails were supposed to be released, not just Hinman emails, all of the documents that are part of the summary judgment motions, you understand there are just thousands and thousands and thousands of pages, deposition testimony, all those things. So they were supposed to be due July 6th, but the parties both agreed for a one week extension because they needed to comply. So I think the date that they're going to be released is a coincidence that it's the 13th and the 13th of the memo, but people keep talking about the statute of limitations and yes, if the Hinman emails show some kind of criminal activity, 
then there'd be a statute of limitations bar of criminal prosecution. But if there's a basis to sue anybody from a civil liability standpoint, it's usually called the discovery rule. When you learn that and discover that there is that you've been harmed, right? Then the statute begins. So if there's a basis to go after anyone, it actually the statute hasn't passed and it would become the, the trigger would be once we become aware of what's in that information. Because you can't you can't bring a lawsuit unless you know you have a basis to bring a lawsuit. Right. And so that's what the discovery rule is. Hey, John, follow up question for you here that our audience is asking. I think it's a great question is if the emails do show some kind of corruption, is it then possible or maybe, you know, whether it's civil or is there uh, the ability for then XRP holders to bring a class action lawsuit against? I don't know whether it would be against Hinman or against the SEC, but are either one of those a possible scenario? Depending on what it shows and coupled with other information, like I brought up an investigation, um, for example, and those empower oversight. Remember, the empower oversight wasn't just seeking Hinman emails. It was seeking the emails with a slew of people, emails with consensus, with Joe Lubin, with all of those people. So. Uh, if all of that is uncovered and it can show that uh, a few people got together and decided to harm one group of individuals for the benefit of another, then yes, there could be theoretically a class action against those actors. You know, going after the SEC, you know, is you got to get over sovereign immunity, qualified, all these things. And so I always tell people, uh, when it comes to negligence, if the SEC's incompetent, you can't sue them. Hmm. Uh, Bernie Madoff, right? We could all yeah. agree that the SEC was incompetent. Bernie Madoff investors sued the SEC under the Federal Tort Claims Act for negligence, and the judge dismissed the case because he said, hey, just because they're incompetent doesn't rise to the level. You know, uh, they have immunity and also there's discretionary functions, whether you prosecute someone or not prosecute someone. There's all kinds of legal issues that go into play. But uh, what we need is the release of the emails, but the release of all the things that Empower Oversight is seeking as well. What we really need is an IG investigation into why this speech was given. Mm. Gotcha. I have a quick follow-up question, Johnny. I do want to switch gears just a little bit here. In twenty in 2018, Ripple began offering ODL sales. And when we talk about a resolution in the lawsuit, there was this, this saying at the XRP Las Vegas conference where they were calling it splitting the baby, right? We could see the judge draw a line in the sand from 2018 forward claiming that XRP was decentralized. But before that, it was offered as an unregistered security. Do you believe that's the ruling we're going to get? And if not, what are you anticipating? Um. Listen, I'm someone who said that that the SEC, because of the theory they chose, may have snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. And 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 it's because this, guys, when you start off as an altcoin at the very beginning, at the very beginning, Ripple had 80 percent of the XRP and the founders had 20. You got to sell it to someone or give it away. Whatever you're doing, those initial things meet 
the Howie test. If if Satoshi Nakamoto, when he was mining, he, she, they, whatever, when he was mining Bitcoin by himself, right? If he would have said, hey, I'm going to, John Deaton, give me 25 grand and I'll give you 100,000 Bitcoin. And I, and I did. And I sat back while he mined more Bitcoin and it became more, that would meet the Howie test, right? That specific transaction uh, could meet the Howie test. And so, so yes, the judge could find those early sales as violating or meeting the Howie test. The problem is the SEC went with this all or nothing type of theory, right? That all sales of XRP, past, present, future, ongoing, you know, in perpetuity, forever. The token itself is an underlying investment re representation of an investment contract. So I think she's going to slam that theory down. They're going to lose that. Whether or not I believe she's going to split the baby, I can't really say because we haven't seen a lot of specific sales, right? So for example, uh, it's all been sealed. I can tell you when you read the summary judgment briefs, the only thing the SEC said in the summary judgment brief was, well, in 2014, Ripple sent about a, a brochure about XRP to about a hundred people. Now the judge could say that that was, uh, an offering, right? That even though there may not have been any sales, that that was an offering. And so if there are a lot of specific sales where she could dig her feet and in, in hands into, then yes, conventional wisdom is that she could say 2013 to 2018, you're in violation ongoing and future. But here's the problem, guys. There is no sufficient decentralization factor in the Howie test, you know, and that's so when people say, you know, they rely on the Hinman speech of sufficient decentralization, that that's not a part of the Howie test. And so um, if I had to pick a winner that would win everything and I'm not picking it, but if I did, I'd pick Ripple to win because the SEC's theory is so freaking absurd. Um, but the conventional wisdom is she'll find a way to split the baby. And, you know, we're going to see soon. And it's funny that the biggest debate about Ripple and XRP in particular is the ICO. But for Ethereum, there's no debate here. Not only was there an ICO, it took place in the United States. And I'm going to play a quick video, of William Hinman. I'd love to get your response, John. Here we yeah. go. Why aren't you stopping all the ICOs, which are clearly unregulated investments? So when I talked about taking a balanced approach, what we are trying to do is recognize this, this new technology, specifically the blockchain technology that underlies it, may have some promise. Oh, I'm not saying bland blockchain, just bland the ICOs. And we all know why that didn't take place, John. But one of the things that we can see going forward is crypto companies not moving into the United States, but the exact opposite, going places where there is friendly crypto regulation. And I think one of the things people are debating within the XRP lawsuit today is the idea of an investment contract. And you put out an interesting tweet earlier this month. I'd love to read this and kick it over to you. An investment contract is one of the most misunderstood legal terms in the law. The Howey test must be the most misapplied legal test or doctrine in social media. An investment contract is a legal term of art adopted from the state law of Congress when it was enacted 
1933. I almost said 13, but 33, regardless, it's a long time ago. So I'd love to get some of your thoughts. The biggest debate in the XRP lawsuit, is it an investment contract? What do you think? Well, yes. And, you know, what's interesting is I don't know if he regrets it or not, but um, Paul Graywell, who is the chief legal officer of Coinbase, he actually quote tweeted that thread of mine and said, Deaton is is basically 100 percent correct. And then, of course, XRP holders were like, OK, if Deaton is correct, why did you delist XRP? Right. And so uh, here's the thing is that. That statute in 1933, it lays out very a litany list of securities, stocks, bonds, promissory notes. Everyone could get their hands wrapped around that. Then there's this phrase that's just thrown in there. It's called investment contract. And so the law was, well, what does that mean? What does investment contract mean? Right. Because we know what a stock is. You get Apple stock, Amazon. We know what a bond is. We know what a promissory note. We know what a mortgage is. But what's an investment contract? And that's when the Howey case came out basically 13 years later after that was enacted and said, here's what an investment contract is. An investment in a common enterprise where, where people have a reasonable expectation of profits derived solely from the efforts of others. That's become the famous Howey test. And the thing about it is, if you read the Howey case, guys, right after it lists that test that I just cited, it says whether or not the underlying investment has intrinsic value is irrelevant. What it's saying is the underlying assets are relevant. It's the circumstances on how you sold the contract. And so what I brought up uh, at the XRP uh, Vegas was beavers, right? They have utility. Beavers have a very specific utility in this world, right? They're very useful. They were sold, packaged, and offered to investors as a security investment contract. We didn't say beavers are securities. Uh, condominiums have been their real estate have been marketed and packaged and offered as a security investment contract orange groves and howie and oranges were packaged and so the underlying asset itself is irrelevant and xrp is digital code it's software it's digital it's a line of code in a software program basically right and so it's not, it's that's what it is and so bitcoin in 2013 was offered as an investment contract. But what does the SEC say today? Bitcoin's not a security. And so it what frustrates me more than anything is when Gary Gensler and others like Elizabeth Warren and Brad Sherman, they go with that false narrative of crypto itself is a security. You know, now I I criticize some of my fellow I don't criticize them, but I caution some of my beloved XRP holders who say ETH is a security. ETH is code too. It may be being offered as a security, okay? But you gotta, you know, words matter. And if we just allow the SEC to dictate the narrative to cut the chase and say the token itself is a security, then we're not honoring the law. Because in 76 years since Howie was decided, 
There's never been a case that said the underlying asset in an investment contract is a security. And there's never been a case where the second sell of that first investment contract was also a security. So for your viewers, imagine the Howie case. We know that it was an investment contract. Let's say that person dies. Let's say that I bought the Howie Acre Orange Grove and I die. My daughters don't know anything about the Howie company or they were doing involved. Just sell it to you guys. Say, hey, dad bought this for 20 grand. We'll sell it to you for 10 grand. And you buy it. You didn't buy an investment contract. You bought a fucking Orange Grove. Sorry. <laughs> no, it doesn't matter. Go ahead. You know what I mean, uh, but you, you bought a piece of land, a parcel of land. You didn't buy an investment contract. You bought land. And that's the purpose. Now, if my daughter said to you, hey, my dad entered into this contract with the Howie company. They're going to do all the work and they're going to plant the seeds and harvest the oranges and sell the oranges. And you're just going to sit back and collect money. Then maybe you could say that second sell was also an investment contract. But unless you have those facts, it's not. So what the chief legal counsel for Coinbase was agreeing with me was agreeing that when Coinbase sells ETH, regardless of its ICO, it's not a security. When Coinbase sold XRP to me, regardless of whether Ripple violated the law in 2013 is irrelevant. When I bought XRP from Coinbase, it was not a security. Johnny, I got a couple of follow-ups. I know you do as well, but the one I kept... Oh, am I muted? Sorry. No, no, no. Uh, let me ask a question. I'll kick it right back to you, Johnny. Yeah. So the number one question I have on my mind right now is, is the escrow likely to be involved in a settlement? It's been a lot of confusion about what Ripple's doing with the escrow. So I'm going to ask you point blank. Could we see them, I guess, give up any of the escrow to a government agency like the SEC? Uh, I think that if there was going to be a settlement, it would have been by now. And so the... The only settlement that I see coming is after Judge Torres gives a decision, then there could be a settlement because Ripple wants the clarity of no appeals and they just want to move on with their business. So so they agree to settle. Or if it's a bad ruling for Ripple, could there be a, a settlement thereafter where ripple agrees to give up some of the escrow or to limit their sales or whatnot what's what's crazy is i think that the sec if it was being honest the sec would agree that odl is not the sale of a security in fact ripple i mean it's, it's just bought for the temporary moment of the utility and then it's sold back right so they're not holding xrp to in a cold storage wallet after they utilize ODL. And so, you know, the only reason this case hasn't settled, guys, is because of politics and because of agendas, of bias, motive, something afoot behind the scenes, whether it's just as, as if it's as bland and vanilla as Gary Gensler wanting to get his greedy hands on the entire crypto market, or there's something nefarious. There's no reason for this case to have not settled by now. There's just absolutely no reason. So let me ask you point blank, what are you anticipating? I don't maybe we got it earlier in the show, but I'd like to hammer it again right now. If we do get a ruling, what do you think it'll be? Uh, I think that if there's enough specific cells in the documents that I haven't seen for the judge to hang her hat on, then she'll find that uh, 
Ripple won't get a clean victory. Um, however, a clean victory for Ripple is the more interesting thing is, does she agree that those cells go to the jury to decide whether Ripple had fair notice? That's the real bigger question for me. But I do believe, and maybe I'll come back on your show and eat my words, but uh, there's a lot of talk lately about whether Judge Torres is going to even comment about secondary market sales. I will be grossly disappointed and discouraged and shocked if she just lets it go because 76,000 XRP holders joined as amicus. I put the brief in there, focus on their saying to her, look, I'm proving to you here that they're alleging secondary market sales. You have to, you have to put it into play. If she doesn't, I'll be shocked. So I think that XRP itself is going to be deemed not a security. I think that uh, secondary market sales, she'll comment that even if she does do a ruling, finding Ripple violated the law, that it doesn't apply to secondary market sales. But I think that it's possible that Ripple gets a, a good, clean victory in the sense of that fair notice issue. If she splits the baby guys and says from 2013 to 2018, before ODL, uh, you met the Howey test. But ongoing and future sales, secondary market sales are not securities. But you get to argue to a jury that because of the Hinman emails, because of the speech, because of all of the FinCEN settlement, all of that stuff you get to argue to a jury that you're excused from violating the law because you didn't get fair notice. That's a complete win for Ripple, complete win, because then that's, that's going to lead to a settlement for sure post ruling because the SEC does not want a jury coming back. You know, yeah, I agree. The SEC uh, didn't give Ripple fair notice because then that affects all of crypto. So people love hard percentages here. Let's break it down as if we had 100%. What do you give it as a likelihood the SEC outright wins, a Ripple outright win, or something in between? Can you break down percentage-wise what you're anticipating? Oh, that's tough. Uh, I I believe an outright total victory for the SEC to be less than 3%. Uh, I believe an outright total victory for Ripple, meaning she doesn't even hold early sales to be uh, – uh, a violation at uh, 25%. I believe that scenario I just showed you of splitting the baby to be 50%. Johnny Crypto, floor is yours, my friend. So that was awesome. There was a lot to unpack there. But just one thing for me for clarity, I, I actually think that, you know, I've heard they've said that you could launch something, the SEC has said, and it could be an ICO or it could be it could be a security in the beginning, but they do allow a certain time period where then it could be a non-security, right? And so, but what, what you talked about was interesting there, where you said the judge could rule that this could go to a jury. So when the judge rules, is this not final? Is this just to move the case to a jury? Or with the judge rules, does that kind of end the Because I was assuming when the judge makes a decision, this thing is over. But are you saying this just is a judge ruling to move it into an actual jury trial? Yeah, the judge could end it by saying, completely end it by saying, Ripple wins outright. Win, no jury. Okay. Right? 
SEC wins outright, no jury. no jury. Or she could say that both sides are denied. Both sides are denied their summary judgment. They don't get to win all the way oh. because, because a jury must decide certain facts. Jury decide facts. So here's an example. She could say whether or not XRP holders entered into a common enterprise is a question for the jury. She could decide that whether or not XRP holders acquired XRP for non-investment reasons because they wanted to get on the ledger and send money and use the decks and all these things, then therefore that's for a jury to decide. So uh, there is a good chance that she says that there is a question of fact that must be answered by the jury. And so, you know, she could give partial summary judgment and say, I find that there is no need for a jury on these issues, but there is a need for a jury on this one particular issue. Interesting. And so, John, if that were to happen in that instance, what are we looking at now? How much longer does the case drag on? You know, just well, ballpark, just to help people understand. Uh, you probably would be looking at a jury trial uh, next year. Oh. Uh, and, and and so you're looking at, you know, certainly another year, year and a half uh, of, of oh, it not being fully resolved. Now, the question, too, then becomes do this if depends on what a ruling is. It could always be appealed. An issue could be appealed before it goes to the jury. Right. If especially if both sides agree and she certifies it. So there's a lot of other legal issues in play. But uh, if there wasn't a a direct appeal on her decision and a jury came into play, yeah, there wouldn't be a jury this year. Like the judge's trial calendar has already been determined. Gotcha. You're, I mean, one of the things I got to you're probably looking at, you know, fall of next year. Fall of next year, you heard it here, guys. And we got 750 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. John Deaton, can't thank you enough for making time for us this morning. This was an interesting development that came out of Ripple this week. And it's one you're going to have to connect the dots with here, okay? So Brad Garlinghouse liked a tweet that the digital asset investor put out. The tweet said, dimes to dozens, this thing is over. And that's obviously in reference to the Ripple versus SEC case. So this is something you may not have a direct answer to, but I'd like to hear your conspiracy why do you think Brad Garlinghouse is liking tweets like this? He knows people like us are watching. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I'd really love to know if if Brad uh, in any way regrets that or if he's having fun or whatnot. Everyone reads that differently. I can tell you this, uh, and a lot of people are going to disagree with me, but I don't believe the case has settled right now and we're just waiting for some announcement. It's just not the way this case, it's just not the way it works. Right. And I know a lot of people think that I'm naive and I don't know what I'm talking about that because Brad did that, the case is over and they're just waiting and working out some details. Um, it's just not the way it is in my opinion, obviously. So I think speculating, I think Brad was just exuding confidence that it's over, meaning Ripple's going to win. That doesn't mean that, you know, the case is over technically and we're just ironing out some some details, you know, but we'll see. I I, I don't believe it's settled. I believe we're going to get a ruling. I think we're going to get the emails on June 13th and we're going to get a decision shortly thereafter from her. 
and uh, hopefully it's very good news. But I think at this point, Ripple is very confident in their chances. John, so I know one of the biggest things we've heard Brad say was, hey, he would have been happy to pay a fine as long as secondary sales are not considered a security. That's really at the end of the day. Is that truly the outcome that Ripple's looking for? Is they just want those secondary sales to be blessed as non-securities? Well, yeah. I mean, obviously, they also want their their direct sales uh, being non-securities as well, their ODL platform. Uh, but without without secondary market sales being blessed, how do you truly get liquidity, you know, in the United States? And again, a Bank of America or a Wells Fargo or any bank that has these Nostra accounts where they pre-fund accounts in all these different uh, nations and jurisdictions, for them to have the confidence that there's going to be no fines or no lawsuits from the SEC, they have to have clarity. So if, in fact, Bank of America is going to engage in ODL, as an example, or a Western Union or a MoneyGram, they need to know that they're not going to get sued and that there's a blessing. And so that's really, you know, what he's getting at. I think I said a long time ago, I said a year ago, that if the SEC went to Brad Garlinghouse and said, Brad, I'll tell you what, pay us $150 million. Mm-hmm. Admit that Ripple violated the law from 2013 to 2017. And we will declare ongoing and future sales of XRP in the United States as non-securities. Brad would have written the check right then and there instantly right yeah I, th- I think he would have i think he might today write a hundred million dollar check you know i think it'll if- depend on them hit me in meals at this point right, <laughs> right. <laughs> john question for you let's talk worst case scenario because i know everybody wants to know let's say the sec comes out i'm sorry the the judge come out and rules in favor of the sec that xrp is a security is it over for xrp or what does that mean does it just could they still use it on the ODL and can it still work or are they well, out of yes. business? Help us understand what the worst. No, no, that, that, that's actually a great question, man. Uh, it's a great question because remember Brad Garlinghouse said that Ripple was already operating under a worst case scenario. So the SEC didn't seek a preliminary injunction in this case, like they did the telegram case. So when, when they won telegram, the judge signed an injunction and it stopped all activity here. All that would happen is we'd have the status quo and ripple would appeal to the second circuit where they got a better chance. And we wouldn't have, I mean, I'm sure the price of XRP would hit, take a hit and like it did when the lawsuit because of the bad news and people would sell and and all of that, but no, they would continue business and we would get a ruling two years from now from the second circuit, which could then overturn judge Torres's decision. Right. And if they lost, if they lost at the second circuit, they could go another two years to the Supreme court. And then when they're in the meantime, their ODL program, I mean, their, uh, their liquidity hub project wouldn't have XRP, but they would continue to be growing overseas and doing all those things. You know what I mean? And so 
And then if that were to happen, I'm not going to go away. You know, I'm not going to just tuck my tail between my legs. Right. I would go to do what I did in the library case with Naomi Brockwell. And, and when we get to the penalty stage, I'd be like, judge, you didn't mention secondary cells. You have to mention secondary cells. You know, here, here's another amicus brief on it. Can we be heard, you know, push the envelope to try to get her to do that? And because I see that, I think she's already sees that that's what would happen. She's aware of what happened in library. I think she'll address it up front so that she doesn't have to deal with that after the fact. That makes sense. That makes sense. I know people are asking, you know, are you under gag order? Are you paid by Ripple attorneys? Do you want to give a little disclosure of like how what your role is in the in the uh, whole case? Sure. I can tell you unequivocally, um, I am not paid by Ripple, never been paid by Ripple. Uh, no one from the XRP community has paid me. Uh, I've spent my own money. I had to hire a local attorney uh, to help me in New Hampshire because I'm not a New Hampshire attorney. I'm funding all the operations myself. Uh, uh, I, I know people are like, well, why would he do this? Um, I'll tell you why. You saw people at the um, XRP Vegas. You know, uh, I know it's corny as hell, man. And I'm going to try not to get emotional, but like, listen, I get gifts and shit all the time. Like, like th this is from an XRP holder, right? Yep. Uh, who wrote me a card that, and I posted it on Twitter. I have it right here, you know, where it said, you know, just thank you for giving us a voice uh, in a time where I was alone. I felt like I wasn't alone. And, and I would never violate that purity by saying, oh, Ripple, can you help pay me some money? Right. Maybe uh, maybe there'll be some benefit down the road some way. I've gotten to meet a lot of people. I've been on Fox Business. Uh, but uh, pretty soon you're going to learn because uh, I'm going to have something coming out that addresses these things. But you're going to learn that what people believe in reality are two different things, man. When I met Brad Garlinghouse I, at Consensus before XRP Vegas, it was two years ago. I was walking by the man. I saw him about 20 feet away. I'm not going to talk to him because we're in the middle of the case. Mm. All of a sudden I say, hey, John, I hear, hey, John. And I turn around and it's Brad. And he's just kind of joking, being like, hey, since we've never met, by the way, I'm Ripple CEO, Brad Garlinghouse. And we shake hands and he smiles. I smile. And he goes, no pictures. And I looked at him. I said, I said, dude, I ain't even fucking talking to you because some moron, <laughs> some moron will take a picture and then accuse me of being a ripple plant. So that's what happens. And then I uh, get on Twitter later and someone says, I know that ripple is paying Deaton and blah, blah, blah. Uh, the, the, the truth, the truth is you guys are going to learn sometime in the near future. I actually argued quite a bit with the ripple lawyers behind the scenes. And, and when I say argued, I mean, like, I was shouting a couple of times. <laughs> yeah. What was it about? What was it about? We hope you know, John, where you can tell us. I know you probably can't now. Share but, some details. Uh, no, you, you, I, I do share them, but, like, we'll let's bring you just, back. Let's we'll bring just you say back lawyer, lawyers can disagree. They represent these two guys. And, listen, I got nothing against Chris Larson and Brad Garlinghouse, but they'll be okay. if yeah. It, yeah. They're going to be okay. Yeah. Right? The guy who's got his, 
his retirement tied up in mm-hmm. iTrust Capital that's been frozen for two and a half years. Yep. That's got all of his money and his retirement tied up. That's the guy I care about. So if I'm dealing with a lawyer who's who's got interest over this guy who might be a billionaire, and I'm talking about you know the regular Joe, sometimes our philosophies are slightly different. Let's just put it that way. John, and I just want to let you know we're breaking records this morning on Good Morning Crypto. We got 825 live Woo! listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And coincidentally enough, John, today is the 11th birthday of XRP. So ah! some pretty exciting stuff here. But I wanted to shift the conversation into an IPO conversation. The number one narrative around Ripple before they were sued by the SEC was that they were going to be launching on the New York Stock Exchange. And this week, we had an image circulating around Twitter where the NASDAQ was congratulating Ripple on their medical acquisition. So I'd love to hear some thoughts from you. Are you anticipating an IPO sometime after this lawsuit? Yeah, I think that I think Ripple was on that 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 path before this lawsuit. Um, And I think that when they have complete clarity you know, if they were to get a complete victory from the judge and that ended everything, I think you're looking at with certainly within a year that Ripple would IPO. And I think that, you know, if they get clarity, I mean, the valuation, I know that's been a hot topic. I mean, here's the thing. Something that struck me as very unique is that Ripple bought out their 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 uh, series three um, uh, investors, and they valued internally Ripple at a fifteen billion dollar company uh, privately, and so they paid their seed three investor. That was uh, the Tetragon people. I think it was SBI as well. They basically bought those shares back at a valuation at uh, fifteen billion. So if they're self-evaluating themselves at 15 billion and they have 45 billion XRP, if XRP were to go to two bucks, that puts them at a hundred billion dollar valuation. To put that in perspective for your viewers, Coinbase is currently a 15 billion dollar company. Wow. Now I personally think Coinbase is undervalued because they got five billion in cash. And they're, you know, uh, but with all this lack of clarity, I think that's why their stock has uh, plummeted like a lot of other tech and other stocks. But Johnny, really quick, I know you got a follow up, but he brought it up himself. We got to talk about the XRP price chart. And now we never do specific targets on our channel, so we're not going to hold you accountable here. But I would love to know, what are you anticipating after the lawsuit? A lot of people, there's rumors about utility. There's rumors about exchanges buying up huge amounts of XRP. That could cause a price run. So what are you anticipating when you talk about the XRP price chart? You had a tweet earlier this week. You said the same people who are criticizing XRP at 48 cents will buy it at $2. So with that being said, (laughs) what's it mean? Yeah, you know, it's it's, there's times where I try to stay away from price. But then I, I, I was really thinking out loud, which was I'm looking at XRP's price. It's 48 cents. And why would and I was just trying to think, why would you hesitate at 48, but buy at one and then FOMO in at two? And and so with, with the, the caveat that I'm a moron, don't ever rely on me for financial advice. I could show you my my uh, return for the last year and you would say I'm not listening to Deaton. <laughs> uh, 
But I would for all of us. I mean, I think think conventional wisdom is that uh, it'll reach an all time high. Obviously, that puts it, you know, above the 385 or whatever mark. I'm not someone who believes that you're going to see triple digits, but I I certainly believe that somewhere between two and ten dollars might be um, might be fair. But that's that's me doing what's called a swag. Yes. A scientific or no, a, a tag, a technical, a twag, a technical wild ass guess. Oh, OK. There you go. <laughs> a twag, right? About as reliable as it gets here, guys. So you heard it two to ten dollars. But Johnny, I know you got to follow up. Floor is yours, my friend. Well, you know, so, John, I mean, our audience really loves and appreciate you and all you've done. And you. I love them, man. I love you guys, too. And uh, and we, we love, love you. John. Thank sure. you so much. We really do. We love you. We've been trying to get you on forever. I'm so glad you did. But our audience wants to know. You know, they want to help you, too, and help you in this battle. Is there a way if people want to send you money to help you help the case support? Is there a way they could do that or it, it, how do they do that if they want to? Is there are you uh, right right now? No, I'm, I wouldn't take any money, but okay. um, uh, uh, there may be a way to support me in a non-financial way coming up soon. Okay. Well, please let us know. And if there's anything they can support you now and think they could do even non-financially, let us know what, what we can do and what they can do, because. You know, we need champions. I've been saying for a while, we need the industry to come together. We need people to come and join and and fight. We need to see Ripple and Coinbase and Binance all coming together because there's enough anti-crypto on the other side to to unbalance the scales that if if people don't come together, it's going to be a a hard battle to fight. We already know, you know, we we have Yusk on the show. He talks all the time. There's four stages, right? Fourth stage, you know, the third stage is the then they fight you stage. And that's what we're in now. So it's yeah. really awesome to see you come in together, you know, putting your own time out and, and effort to putting into this. We need more champions like you, and we're trying to do the same too. So let us know what we can do to help because it really, really means a lot to this community, everything you've done. So well, listen, I, I appreciate it. And one thing I would say to my XRP family is that, you know, the higher burden is on us because, and I mean it this way, We've been fighting. I know how the XRP holder feels. Been fighting alone, right? For like two years. Uh, people were celebrating what the SCC did. Coinbase delisted XRP. Kraken delisted XRP. So I know a lot of people are like, man, it's a hard sell to like join with Coinbase who delisted XRP. But the words that you just said is you got to remember the enemy of my enemy is sometimes my friend. And the enemy is, in fact, the anti-crypto incumbent people in charge, the Elizabeth Warrens, the Gary Genslers, the Sherrod Browns, the Brad Shermans. These are the people that we're fighting against. And, and there'll become a time if we can get a level playing field, which is always what we wanted, then we can have let the best project win, let the best tech win. You know, if I own Bitcoin and I know my XRP maxis are like, oh, you got a dinosaur. That's fine. Then 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 let let the dinosaur, you know, die off. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. But let's have a fair system. You know what I mean? So, John, when the when the dust settles in 2028, 2030, somewhere around there, an American litigation is set in stone. We have some regulation for digital assets. What are you anticipating? Do you think a lot of this? Uh, new technology is going to end up going to the UAE and to China because they have friendlier regulation? Or do you think at the end of the day, crypto finds a home in the United States because regulation, it finally comes to fruition? 
I think that crypto is already escaping the United States and XR, uh, not XRP, uh, U.S. investors are being excluded with new projects because they don't want to have to try to spend millions litigating the SEC. But at the end of the day, I think it's several years away. I think when you have a market that represents 50 percent of all the world's capital, eventually it's going to it's going to be OK. And I think we're going to win. I think we're still in the middle of that fight, though. And uh, hopefully we get a good victory from this case. Uh, in my opinion, this case, if the SEC wins, we're in for even more battle. If the SEC loses, we're still in for a battle. But I think it'll they'll lose a lot of, of political um, credit, right? Like uh, momentum. Gary Gensler keeps calling everything a security. If this judge rules XRP is not a security, now they've lost some momentum in that false narrative. And, and so we just got to keep fighting. Johnny, I think the place that we should end the show is this this article right here is the SEC is accepting Ethereum for penalty payment. And this is interesting because it has to do with Coinbase, of course. <laughs> the United States SEC is accepting Ethereum as part of a penalty payment in a recent fraud case while maintaining the classification that digital assets are securities. Yeah. The SEC, so this is pretty obvious, John. I'm going to just kick it over to you. No, it's just crazy, man. It just goes to show you the SEC. And here's the thing. That won't stop the SEC from suing Binance or Coinbase and claiming that the staking of ETH is a security. The, the, the government has no credibility. You know, the judge was right when she said the SEC lacked a faithful allegiance to the law. Right now, they just want to go after their transactional. So one minute they'll accept payment of an illegal security, right, as payment. For the United States government. And then the government will sell, like they do Bitcoin, will at some point sell that Ethereum at some auction or some type of you know government sell and sell this unregistered security while at the same time litigating that it's an unregistered security. It's insane. It's absolutely insane. Off the charts hypocrisy at the yeah. highest level. You can't even make it up. Here they are. No, you know, it's a security, not a security. They're going to accept it and then, and then sue people for staking it. You just can't even make this stuff up, John. It's yeah, hey, so hey, hey, listen, we're, at some point, we're going to probably have some kind of way of paying your taxes through crypto. Some places like Switzerland and others are accepting Bitcoin as payment for taxes. I mean, you know, eventually, listen, I'm someone who believes crypto's here to stay. It's yeah. just going to be how much of a more of a bloodbath do we have before we get to that adoption? Well, I'm a believer of what's what you're seeing is happening is as they've kind of put the U.S. on kind of like freeze, taking a back seat. You see, and we had an article yesterday. You see all the big players moving their their ships in position on the chessboard. Nasdaq's coming into this. Bank America's coming in. J.P. Morgan's coming, but but very quietly, right? They're telling you it's bad. They're fudding it out. But in the meantime, if you look behind the curtain, guess what? They're all back there getting in position. And what I so what I think has happened, John, I'm curious to your thoughts here. I think they realize crypto is here to stay. They believe there is definitely utility in blockchain and they're positioning themselves, getting all their places, positions in, in place so that when they're ready to stop the fight. Right. Stage four. So stage three is then they fight you. Stage four is then they join you. No, stage, stage four is this. Hey, Gary, it's Jamie Dimon. 
Yeah. We got we got a big enough piece now. Yes. Bingo. That's yeah. what it is. They're getting that's, the that's, no coincidence yeah. at all that this summer the NASDAQ has already confirmed they're launching custody services. So that's why I thought it was so unique. They were congratulating Ripple on Medico because that's just a competitor. So they're com- they're congratulating Ripple on launching a custody service when the NASDAQ is going to be doing the same thing this summer. And it's like you said, once they're on board, that's when these markets are going to move. So any closing statements here? When can people where can people find your content? And is there any upcoming event you want to make people aware of? Uh, just on Twitter, really, Johnny Deaton at one. Um, no, listen, just hang in there. We're, we're, we're close. We're close to the end. And, you know, like I said, I'm not going to hide if I'm wrong. I'll come on your show. I'll come on any show I've been on where I've said, here's what I think is going to happen. Uh, at the end of the day, Judge Torres is the only one that knows what's going to happen. I'm yep. guessing, trying to make educated guesses as best I can. Um, but I do believe that there are brighter days ahead. And so I think that uh, there's no community in crypto more deserving of good news than the XRP community. That's for sure. Amen. With that being said, thank you so much. And Johnny, I want to remind our listeners as well, this Sunday, we're going to be holding a crypto market update with our Merlin team. That is Sunday at 7 p.m. So come in and join us if you're not busy on that Sunday night. But guys, we got 785 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And John Deaton, I can't thank you enough. Thank you for making time for this morning. Hopefully we'll collaborate again soon. Absolutely, guys. Have a great one. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend.